Welcome to Empowered Thinking at Play. I'm Kim Nelson, writer, meditation teacher, confidence coach, and someone with a very curious mind. I'm here talking to guests and exploring what makes them feel empowered, how they've created a stronger mindset, and their interpretation of what empowerment really is. My guest today is Cathy Swords. She is a school counsellor in Oman and a consultant in mental health and well-being. Cathy has such an interesting career within counselling and mental health, mostly internationally, which spans over 25 years and includes working in Greece, Saudi Arabia and Qatar, as well as being a guest speaker at numerous international conferences. Cathy is currently in Oman, where she is helping expatriate children understand and deal with the challenges they face, such as loss of identity, and helping them deal with their well-being needs. It is a career full of challenges, but one that comes with many life lessons, insights and stories, which Cathy shares on this podcast. Although we did have some connection problems, which you will hear at the beginning of our interview. We talked about empowerment, but because of the connection problems, the content wasn't audible. But this is what Cathy said. Empowerment. It's almost like a gift we are given that has an immediate warming and powerful effect on us. But that initial feeling doesn't have to stay. We can't own it. I'm not sure we should even try to capture it. Just let it in and feel it. I love that definition. Hello. Hello. Are you at all now? (laughs) Can you hear me now? Oh, yes, that's good. That's good. Hurrah! (laughs) Here we are. Yeah, my sister used to work in the Middle East, and uh, and I said we had some problems with with connection, and she was like, oh, my God, Uh I know what that's like. Whenever she tried to phone home, and she was dying to speak to her kids, and... uh, wasn't able to usually it would cut out yeah. when her computer on the phone so yeah um, sometimes it's really good and then other times it's really frustrating for exactly you know exactly how your sister described there um and there's no you know rhyme nor reason to it it's just the way it is gosh and how long have you been out there in total um possibly about 28 years 27 28 years um yeah quite a while I would say back and forth and what made you decide to stay out so long um I'm not quite sure um people always ask this question you know how did I start teaching internationally um and I think at the time I was living and I was working in the UK having just qualified as a teacher and I went to Europe for the summer and we I ended up in Athens with a few friends and we're we were at the Acropolis and we got talking to this American family and I was asking them you know are they here on holiday and they said to me no we're international school teachers we've been here two years now we moved over from the states for a couple of years and I thought well that was amazing And I remember at the time I was sitting on a rock below the Acropolis talking to them. And uh, the very next year, a job came up uh, for a teacher in Athens and I applied, got the job. And almost a year later, I was sat on the same rock 
in my first international teaching experience, school experience. So that's how it all started, really. Nice. Do you have a photo of that rock? <laughs> it's played an important well, part yeah. of you in your life. <laughs> Do you know what? A couple of years ago when I left Qatar, which I thought that was the end of my international career, that summer I took my youngest daughter on holiday to Greece and I took her back to that rock and I sat on it and I told her the, the story that I've come full circle because I, I started with a holiday and I felt I had to end with a holiday. So we both went there together and I've got a picture of that. Oh, that's really nice. And so how old are your children? Do you have children? Uh, I've got two girls. They're 24 yeah. and 20. Uh, and do they live in, in uh, Stowa, isn't it, where you are? Uh, no, I'm in Oman now. Oman, okay. Um, they live there too, or did they go to e England or somewhere else? No, they, um, the eldest one left, um, she left Qatar when she was 16. So she wanted to go back to the UK to try UK uh, schooling. So she decided to go to boarding school at 16, just oh. really because she never lived in the UK and she didn't know what it was like. And she knew that within the next couple of years, she would have to go back anyway for university. And she just felt that was a much gentler step back into, I suppose, a, a country and a culture she thought she knew, but actually didn't. <laughs> so yeah. that was a big learning curve for her back at 16. And then the youngest one, she went a little bit earlier. She wanted to go at 14. Um, and I'm glad she did because it gave her a little bit more time to get used to in kind of her home country. So, yeah, they've been in the UK for a few years now. Gosh, and then what did you uh, advise them? Um, I, to be honest, I didn't actually understand a lot at that point about expat, not expat life, of course I understood that, but what I didn't understand was once you decide to leave that lifestyle and you, and you perhaps go back and repatriate, what I didn't understand was the challenges that people faced once that happens. Um, I mean, they do say that repatriation is the most difficult move you will make because you think you belong, you feel you ought to belong, but when you get back, you're so different or you've changed so much that it's really quite difficult to you know, connect. And because they'd never lived in their home country, they've, they've mm. got the passport, but they've never lived there. They really didn't understand much about the country at all. Um, but because they both looked like they should, I mean, they both look very English if there is such a thing nowadays, but everybody expected them to know and understand. And when they didn't, um, the home students couldn't quite understand why they were so different. So it was, it was all a bit, bit strange, really. Gosh, I actually imagine my own children, they're Belgium. They've been in Belgium the whole time. Um, I've got an 11-year-old and a, a six-year-old. And I imagine it would be this, even though we live quite close to England, I think it'd be very difficult for them to sort of adapt to English yeah. ways because uh, yeah. Belgium is very different. Yeah, I've got a fantastic picture of when the youngest one started boarding school. They dressed them all up in their school uniform and there was only 10 girls in the year group. Um, because it was originally a boys' school and it was just moving over to co-ed. And they stood them in front of the school building and took a photo. And it's really bizarre because 
on her she's right in the middle and to her right there are kind of five very british students and to her left i think there was a um, a russian student um two students from hong kong and one from china and she was smack bang in the middle and now i look at that photo and i think how apt was that because I think expat children, third culture kids, they are between all the cultures. You know, they're, they're not mm. they're not home and they're not international. Uh, but nobody recognises that, you know, they're in between there somewhere. So that's really quite a good, good picture. Now. I'm glad I kept that one as well. Yeah, it's fascinating. And um, do they feel like they've adapted now? I think they have. I mean, the eldest one has been there possibly now. So she's been there eight years and it took an awful long time. Um, a lot of understanding on her part as well. Um, I feel that she has, um, but it, she, it's, it's not complete. I think it takes an awful long time. And I don't think there's, that you, you can take everything away. There's parts of that lifestyle that will remain with her always and have served her very well, actually. And it was just understanding the, the challenges and the difficulties she came across. I think when she understood that that wasn't because of her as a person or any deficit in her as a person, but it was because of her life experiences were different. I think that's when she really began to settle and kind of um, embed into her new place and not worry about being so different and actually finding it quite a quite good to be slightly different but it did take a long time I like that celebrating differences that's what we should be doing more (laughs) for sure (laughs) and uh, what sort of challenges did your children face um I think perhaps the first one was actually uh, to be recognised as um, as an expat, as somebody who has had different life experiences. Um, it's very easy to, um, you know, when you're in these boarding schools, you can see very clearly international students. And because you can see them, you recognise, you, you expect them and you allow them to be different and to know different things and to get things wrong. But I think, uh, again, it's not being recognised that expats are different. Um, they're a culture within cultures. They're, they're their own culture. They just don't have a similar language or religion or, do you know what I mean? Mm. They themselves are very, very different. But what's common about them all is that they've shared a very similar life experience. So I think one of the biggest problems, first of all, was um, not being recognised. Um, and when they got things wrong, I mean, we've had so many laughs about, you know, all the faux pas they've made and not understanding anything about their country. Um, the eldest one, she was fascinated because we always used to go back every summer and in our in our garden we had these trees and these trees had lovely green leaves on them and when we used to go back in the um, winter those trees were all bare because you know the, the leaves had fallen off so the first year she went to university once she got to October she couldn't understand that all the trees had turned brown and red and the leaves were beginning to fall off and she actually thought there was something wrong with the tree and she went and reported it to the housemaster (laughs) couldn't really quite understand what she was going on about about the trees being ill (laughs) she um, 
seen in autumn and I'd never thought to explain it to her because for me it was normal. But for her, she'd never seen it, so she did not know what was happening. It was really quite funny. <laughs> so there's been God. lots of things like that. Um, you know, not having quite the right language. You know, they're, they're, my children will say, uh, can you open the lights? Yeah, can you close the lights? Instead of switching the lights on and off. So just lots of little things that are noticeable, but yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. Things that we take for granted and it's normal for us as English people, you Absolutely. know, when we've lived in England, so we're yeah. used to that. But then your children who had never lived in England before experiencing an autumn, mm-hmm. um, that's so interesting. Gosh, okay. Yeah. But um, tell me about your the work that you do in Amman. Okay, so at the moment, I've been here since January, Um, As I said, I I left Qatar about uh, three years ago and I worked in a school in the UK for two years. And then I saw this opportunity in the British school here in Oman and uh, it was for a school counsellor. And it was for setting up a counselling department within the school and basically helping children with their well-being, their needs. Um, A lot of um, ex-Middle Eastern countries, the services the community services aren't that well developed in terms of mental health yet and especially in terms of younger people so the school wanted to have somebody in in um in school to help children so that's what i'm doing at the moment but of course um we were only so many weeks in and then the the lockdown happened and schools closed and ever since then we've been trying to do everything online Uh, and how's that going um I mean, it was difficult, as a lot of counsellors will tell you, we, we're used to working face to face and to take that uh, work online to something that was very unfamiliar with the worries of, you know, safeguarding, well-being, confidentiality. I mean, it was a, it was a steep learning curve. Uh, for sure. I think we're much further forward in trying to help young people. I've just completed an 80-hour online counselling course to try and ensure (laughs) providing with a quality service because we're anticipating that a lot of young people are going to need the support. Yeah, Yeah. what sort of issues are you dealing with? Well, the same in most schools, really. Um, In international schools, the biggest things that we come across are quite often we see high levels of anxiety. Um, We see uh, a lot of loss in terms of because the expat lifestyle is highly transient, um, children are always um, losing their home if they're moving countries. So in that case, they lose their home, they lose their country, they lose their friends, they lose their school. They lose, to a certain extent, their identity because they can't really take that with them. They have to, you know, build that in their next place. So there's a lot of loss, I think, in international schools can be loss of possessions, loss of pets. So quite often, um, you know, talking to young people about that and helping them through that is really, really important. And then, of course, with loss always comes anxiety because they're in a new place and they haven't yet got their support systems in, in place. So I would say those are the two major things that I kind of deal with in international schools. Okay. And then do you deal with students that might be angry about having you know um going to boarding school 
perhaps miss their own their other country that they come from yeah i mean i suppose it depends on uh the children uh children being able to advocate for their needs and their wants um in our case um it was my eldest daughter who actually wanted to go we didn't want her to go at all because it's just so much easier if you all stay together um but then i was also very mindful that you know, you only go to school once in your life. You can go back to university many times. And I kept thinking to myself, if she missed the opportunity to actually experience schooling in her home country, um, that's something that we could never change. Um, I guess there are some children who do go to boarding school who don't particularly want to. Um, it could be because of their um you know, we used to work in Saudi Arabia and when we first went, uh, schooling finished at age 14 and there was nowhere in Saudi to go after that. So a lot of those children would go to boarding school because if they didn't, it meant the loss of the family job, family income, because the whole family would have to move back. So I suppose, you know, if a child wants to go, that's great. And if they don't, that's also very, very difficult. Mm. And um, interesting that you are a speaker, international speaker. What sort of topics are you asked to talk about? Um, a wide range, really. Again, um, really, I think going back to that recognition of who expats are, the gifts that they have, the talents that they get from this lifestyle, because there are many, and also the challenges. So I do a lot of work on trying to help um, expats actually understand themselves a little bit better, but also home countries. So I, I've done some talks in UK boarding schools about recognising the expat community within their school community and how to kind of meet their needs what to watch out for how to draw on their gifts and how to mediate for their challenges so I do a lot of expat um, talks but I also do uh, lots of talks on any kind of adolescent counselling um, areas of interest such as uh, understanding adolescence um, you know how to, how to work with young people uh, how to meet their needs I might do workshops on things like um, anxiety or even depression or I might do um, some workshops and training for schools in terms of um, you know setting up school mentoring programs uh, training staff in um, you know, mental health first aid. So a whole range of things um, I speak about. It depends what people want me to speak about, I guess. And what's the um, sort of biggest number, like the aud biggest audience you've had to speak in front of? Because quite a um, thinking doing that. <laughs> it was never my thing at school, to be honest. Um, probably about 150 plus. Yeah, that's quite that's quite a big crowd. Quite, quite. Actually, I find that the bigger the audience, the easier it is. It's when you've got that small group around you. That's because you're so visible. You know, you can't hide anything at all. So yeah, they're they're two extremes for sure. Yeah, and what are your top tips for facing challenges? Um. Well. I mean, gosh, that's a huge conversation. Um, I'm a great believer that as people, um, we have our strengths and we have our areas of growth. So I don't believe in strengths 
sorry, I don't believe in weaknesses because weaknesses would, we would assume therefore that we are complete, we're finished as a person. And I think we continue to grow throughout our life. So quite often when we're talking about challenges, it's about helping the young person to see that challenges often come out of not because they're not due to us as people, they're due to the situation that we're in. And I think quite often if you can if you can help young people or people to understand this, it stops them from being less stops them being less critical about themselves because they realise that the fault isn't with them. It's the situation they're in. It's the time that they're in or it's because they're still gathering their coping skills and they're still learning, if you know what I mean. Does mm, that make sense? It does. Um, what are your biggest challenges that you face? At the moment... I mean, at at the moment, my husband is in Saudi Arabia, (laughs) I'm in Oman, and my two children are in the UK. So at the moment, it's trying to kind of cut through that from being so far away, to make sure that everybody's okay, to keep connecting with each other. Um, So those are my immediate challenges at the moment. Um, I guess, like any other expat at the moment, our challenges will also be we don't know what's happening. We are away from home. We cannot get back. Our airports are closed here at the moment for another month. Um, we don't know if there's going to be anything left here for us in terms of jobs, positions, financial uh, concerns. Um, so there's a lot on our plates at the moment. And it's giving time to sift through that and try and work through that. Um, I think is one of the biggest challenges at the moment. The bucket is filling, if you can imagine. I bet. And um, it sounds quite full on, your job. (laughs) I wondered, what do you do to sort of relax and calm down and basically slow down? Um, When I was younger, I was always very big into sports, especially team sports. So even at my age now, I've still joined the netball club here in Oman. Um, I walk a lot. I'm very good at having, you know, building downtime into my kind of life, daily life, weekly life schedule as well. So as a a counsellor, you are very much trained in looking after yourself, taking care of yourself. It's a big part of your training. And it's something that I make sure that I, you know, I, I, I do quite often. That's good. And I'm going to go back to the challenges. And I wondered, have there been any challenges that that have been brought to your attention? And you thought, ah, I don't know how to how to answer this one. How do I help this person with this challenge? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm trying to think now of um, an example for you that does come up all the time. I mean, you know, I'm not all seeing and all know and all knowing. And there are times when I come across a young person with a specific challenge and perhaps I I don't know how to help them or I feel that's out of my area of expertise. Normally what you would do as a counsellor there is that you would try and find somebody who had expertise in that particular issue for that young person. So that's one thing that I would do, which is quite difficult here because the the resources aren't huge here in the community. Sometimes things happen in our life that we, you know, we can't change 
or we, we can't solve. And sometimes it's about recognizing that and acknowledging that and perhaps just agreeing to put that to the side for a little while because there are always other things that you can work with and you can address and so counseling is not about solving everything it's about looking being aware of where the issues come from because there's no, there's never ever just one issue there's always like a collage of things for people and sometimes it's about well this is something we can't work with yet or perhaps we we don't know how to solve yet but look at all these other areas that we can work with that we can solve let's let's work with that let's relieve some of the pressure by working with that and then perhaps we can come back to that thing that's causing us both a little bit of difficulty so that's possibly you know how we would work with people in that way hmm. okay so you you work in a boarding school you have a training um company with your your uh fellow with a fellow teacher is that right melissa yes Cochran? yes yes so um the, the school i work in now is just a, an international um day school and uh, the boarding school i worked in was in the uk um so yes when i was in the uk um i we set up a company with my friend melissa we met um in qatar several years ago i think it was about 2005 2006 and what we identified is, as both of us being counsellors is that often expats would repatriate home and with the challenges that they would bring home with them, quite often they would seek out assistance from counsellors in the UK or America, wherever their home country is. And what we found is that, again, it's going back to recognition, recognition for understanding expats for who they are and the life they've lived and the challenges that that brings. And what what kind of happened is that expats would go back to the UK and engage with a counsellor who perhaps didn't have the understanding of what they needed, what their challenges were. And quite often they would be bringing a lot of loss and grief. Expat grief is a huge issue in terms of loss of job, position, identity, home, all those kinds of things I explained earlier. And they would take that into a home counsellor and the home counsellor quite often wouldn't understand how to you know, mediate for, for this person. So uh, we set up the company for two reasons. First of all, to help home counselors really understand expat lifestyle and therefore how best to work with expat clients. And then the other part of our company, we've set up courses for counselors who want to go and work internationally in international schools so that they understand their clientele, the gifts that they have, the challenges that they, you know, that lifestyle brings, and again, how to work um, with young people or the clients that they meet. So that's what our company is um, working on at the moment. And we have two more new courses as well. One is for teachers who work in international schools in looking after the well-being of young expats. And the other one is for students who, sorry, um, young people who leave and go back to their home country for university. 
and that we have a course coming online very, very soon to help those young people to understand a little bit more about themselves and, and some of the challenges they may meet going back to their home country for university after being away for so long, or perhaps like my children, never having lived in their home country. So, yeah, that's our, that's our company. Gosh, that's really interesting. And I understand you're you're still you're studying still your PhD in education. I'm trying. I've been at it a few years now, and I was actually looking at it again. I took a year off from it um, just because there was so much going on, and I couldn't pay it the attention that I needed to pay. And so my study um, is again very similar. It's about. Um, children who, um, expat children who go home and attend UK boarding schools. So uh, very, very interesting. And what it is, is looking at the challenges that they face. And therefore, because if we know the challenges, then the schools will be able to put systems in place to help mediate for that. So that's an ongoing piece of work, I'm afraid. is something that I really do want to complete. Um, because, you know, that, that's what my children went through. And if we can make it easier for children who come after them, that would be worth doing. Definitely. Gosh, so interesting. And do you have any words or quotes that you live by? <laughs> I don't, I'd have to think about that. <laughs> I don't know off the top of my head. No, I'm not quite sure that I do. Um, I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm a quotey person, actually. Or do you um, have something that you say all the time to students? It's become a bit of a mantra for you, especially about challenges. Do you have like uh, something well, you I say? I remember once um, giving an assembly about what counselling was and, you know, how it's very different depending on the counsellor that you have. And at the end, one young person put their hand up and said, oh, so um, it was all about adolescence. And this young person says, OK, so do you meet many crazy teenagers? And I said to her, no, I don't meet any crazy teenagers, but I meet a lot of teenagers in a crazy time. Ooh. And I always talk about that now in assemblies because for me, it goes back to, you know, young people, they're not wrong in themselves. The deficit, <clears throat> the deficit is not in them. Well, the difficulty is the time that they're in. And I think that is something that I, I definitely um, notice with young people, you know, um, they see themselves in this moment and they think they're so wrong. But when they get to the next moment and they look back, they will see how they've changed. Um, I'm trying to think of an example for you. Um, I remember my eldest daughter saying to me once, and she said she, she was 17 and a half, and I'll never forget this. She said to me, she said, you know what, mum? She said, when I was growing up, she said, it was really, really tough. She said, and there were times that were really bad. And she said, and although I noticed that people were worse off than me, she said, it still was very difficult. And I said, well, what, do you, what did you find difficult? And she said to me, well, I was just so afraid. And I said to her, but what were you afraid of? And she said, because when I was younger, 
my life was so happy and it was such fun. And then when I got to about 12 or 13, it got more difficult. And then when I got to 14, it got difficult. When I got to 15, it got really difficult. And I kept thinking to myself, oh my goodness, is this what getting older means? And she said, I kept thinking, if I feel like this at 15, what am I going to feel like at 18, 20, 25, 30? And she said, I was really afraid that the, all the good years had gone. And she said, but I'm 17 and a half now. And I realized that actually it wasn't me and it wasn't about it getting worse. She said it was just the time I was in. And she says, even though things are still hard, I realize they're less hard. So I understand that it's about the time you're in, not about you. Not sure I explained that very well. No, you did. That, that was beautiful. That really was beautiful. It, it um, really opened my eyes to how young people feel and how afraid they are. And I think all that counselling is, is to change their perspective a little bit, help them to see things in different ways and just help them to understand that this is about this time now, not you as a person. Does that make sense? It so makes sense. And your daughter said it in such a understanding way. Um, yeah. So that was that's really insightful. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of working with adolescents is that they they really do understand. You just have to, um, you know, kind of un uncloud it almost. Is that a word for them? Yes, uncloud yeah. is good. Yes, brilliant. And how often do you speak to your children? Every day. Okay. Yeah. Even if it's just to say hi, because obviously we're not doing a lot at the moment, so we don't have a lot to report. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, one of them now has started to drive and she's got her date back for university. So she's got, you know, she's got things to start looking forward to. Um, and hopefully that will start happening for the younger ones soon as well. So, yeah, we just chat and chill and, you know, yeah. <laughs> As do, you do you think because you have two daughters that you can relate to the children that come to you with their with their challenges? Um, I think it, it definitely helps, but I try not to assume that just because it was like this for my children, that it's got to be the same here. So you really do need to listen to each individual's story and give them an opportunity to really get that out there and, you know, try and understand, you know, where the meaning is for them. It, it does help me sometimes to, uh, when you've worked with adolescents for a long time, you know that there are going to be challenges common to many of them. So already you're one step ahead, but you must never let that get in the way of, you could be totally wrong and it could be something completely different as well. So, yes, it does help. But I also have to be very mindful of listening to their story and not my kids' story. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do you teach mindfulness? 
not at all. I did an eight-week course years ago when I was in Qatar. But um, no, I don't teach mindfulness. I mean, it's, it's linked quite strongly to certain aspects of counselling. It's all kind of enmeshed, really, counselling, coaching, mindfulness. Um, so I guess we draw bits from there, you know, but no, I've never taught it. Hmm. Gosh, no, it sounds like you've got a very interesting career there, full of challenges which you have to always tackle and um, and you're meeting different people all the time. Yes. It sounds like yes. every day is different. <laughs> that human landscape is always changing for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And do you, um, as well as children, do you also advise adults, perhaps the parents or not? Yes, sometimes you, um, depending on the age of the child as well. The younger the child, yes, it's always helpful to speak with parents. And, you know, once you've built that relationship with um, the young person, the adolescent as well, many of them are actually very open to bringing mum or dad or, or family into the equation. Um, obviously, there are some occasions when that's not possible. But, it, it, you know, if it is possible, it works really, really well. And again, I do lots of assemblies for parents so that they understand. So I'll do I'll do presentations on understanding adolescence, um, um, understanding the expat profile, understanding transition, because quite often, and if you can increase a parent's knowledge, then, you know, children look to their parents to see their reaction to situations. And quite often what you find happening is that when, when parents have more knowledge about what's going on in their life, you know, transition, what happens there, why friends, why their children fall out with their friends, all of those things. When, when parents understand that more, that it kind of calms them so that when their young person is finding experiencing difficulties that that parent then can you know be ready ready for them um in kind of a more calm way so it's really interesting to talk with parents it's really good to have discussions have book clubs give presentations there's, there's that's all part of school counseling to be honest mm, that's really interesting are there any books or resources that you would recommend um one that I found really quite good in terms of understanding adolescence um, and taking the, the criticism out of adolescence and learning to actually love this stage because all we ever hear about is the bad things. Yeah, there, are, there can be so many good things, but please don't ask me. <laughs> okay. um, the cuff. Um, one book that a lot of parents like is, oh, let me get this right now. It's called Blame My Brain. And I mm. think it's by somebody called Nicola Morgan. She's written a few books, um, Debbie Morgan, Nicola Morgan, I think. And what, what that book does is it really explains about what is happening internally for the young person. So it talks a lot about uh, adolescent uh, brain development and about how, you know, that child brain at a certain age really begins to, like, um, um, pull apart and rewire uh, into the adult brain and that process happens during adolescence and if you can imagine if that's what's happening to a young person's brain everything that we see in adolescence in terms of their behavior it's really easy to understand 
why they do say and behave the way that they do. So a lot of parents find that parents find that book very informative and very calming. Okay, so this this really is a phase, and this is an opportunity to for my child to kind of relearn, remold. It's it's really it's a very good book, and it's very you know easy to read. It's not a big mm. medical. So I would say definitely I, w- I would recommend that to you. If you've got an 11-year-old, perfect. Yes. <laughs> I'm guessing it. I'm going to get it on Kindle as soon as we finish this interview. <laughs> get it on Kindle, yes. Oh, that's great. Thank you. I, I feel very uh, enlightened. You've given me some great tips for my own daughter. Um do you find it's the girls that have the most challenges? I think they have different challenges. Um, you know, what's lovely to see, actually, uh, Kim, is that the last school I worked at, I reckon 50% of the young people I saw were boys. And I think hmm. boys are getting really good at advocating for their needs and um, being willing to understand themselves a little bit more and explore their feelings. And that that is really lovely to see. And the same, same happened here again, even though I didn't really get into the counselling, the young people I met that I possibly would have started with again, there were a lot of boys. So, but yes, similar issues, um, but then, yeah, very different um, I would, again, I would say girls are more willing to come and sit and discuss, but they're very closely followed by boys at the moment, which is It's encouraging. Mm. It's really, really encouraging for certain. And yes, they do bring different things to the table, but they also bring similar things. But the biggest thing they bring, which is the most fantastic thing, is that they all want to understand and feel a bit better and be able to cope with whatever. That, that's, that's common to everybody, boys and girls. They're all willing to sit and look at themselves. And that's great. That's lovely. Has that changed then from the beginning of your career to now? Have you seen the difference between the sexes like that? Yeah, so my first, uh, when I first started training, which was 2008 as a counsellor, I worked two days a week in a school in the UK, and I think I had two boys. Oh. And so I would have had two boys and then up to 10 girls. Yes. Yeah, so I do think it is changing. But I think a lot of that comes back to whenever I start working anywhere, I always meet with every year group and we sit down and I give them um, an assembly about, you know, what counselling is, what it isn't, and really try and change their perspective about counselling because it's not about fixing something that's wrong. It's about understanding. It's about get, looking at things from a different perspective. And it's about then building the coping skills that you naturally do in adolescence anyway. Um and, and normalising their situation. And I think if you do that, boys and girls see you as actually a person and somebody who I could probably talk to, hopefully, and they will come and they do come. So That's I think lovely. you have to say you saw 
out for sure. Yeah. Oh, it's such an interesting job that you have and you must enjoy it so much. Okay, well, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for talking to me. Do you edit out all the waffle? I do edit. I will be editing. Yes. (laughs) There's a lot of waffle, I think. There's a little bit from me as well. Waffle, waffle. But I like a bit of waffle. And just to add, you can find out more about Kathy on her website, which is Thea Training, T-H-E-I-A Training.com, and also about me at Mindful Thinking at Play. <laughs>